Welcome to the Woo Woo Woman podcast. My name is Shelly and I'm your host. I'm a self-taught astrologer, modern mystic, yogic guide, and women's empowerment coach living in the South Florida area. This podcast was created with the intention to share the tools, people, and modalities that have continued to help me shift and heal to up-level my life in efforts to inspire and encourage you to do the same. Thank you so much for being with me. Hello, welcome to the Woo Woo Woman podcast. If this is your first time being here, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you're an original OG, so grateful you're back and able to be a part of this conversation that we're going to be having with Dr. Jake Hyde. He's somebody that has come into my awareness through a yoga student, Kara, who ended up becoming his wife. And we have been kind of circling back and I've become very much interested and intrigued by the way in which he speaks about stress, the mind, body, and spiritual connections that we have, the things that we may not even be conscious that we carry that are affecting our current state and perhaps even our future state more than likely. And so grateful to have you here, Dr. Jake Hyde. I'm so, so thankful that you're able to extend your knowledge to my listeners, because I really, really feel that there's going to be so much value in this conversation, even though we really don't quite know the specifics as to where we're going. But that that mystery makes it very, very uh, magical at the same time. So thank you so, so much. Jake was also a part of the Reflections Retreat that we did in November um, that we're going to continue doing throughout the year. So if you're interested in popping in on that in the physical forum, stay tuned. But his conversation, you know, as much as he does do work on like hands-on work on people, the conversation that he had um, and shared with us really already started to get the work and, and the inner work process happening with everybody who was present in that conversation. And I'm really thrilled to have him on today to really share his expertise, how he got to where he's at, um, and essentially really provide you with valuable information so you can maybe take on a different perspective on where you currently are and what you currently carry and how you can shift that and how can you how you can begin to alchemize that into a more mindful, conscious way of being and living. So thank you so much again, um, Jake, for being here and taking the time out to share your knowledge and your expertise with my listeners. Shelly, it really is a privilege and it's a joy to be welcomed onto a show like this. I think, well, I'm just so grateful for an opportunity to have meaningful conversations, which is exactly what I know this is going to be. And it's cool that people get to participate in their own way too. I just think I would do this conversation with you uh, just if you called me and said, Jake, let's chat about life. <laughs> I'd be like, yes. That's what this is. This is <laughs> but let's do this. <laughs> We're having lunch, so, having a conversation. I love it. <laughs> I'm excited to do this. So yeah, a little bit about how I got into this. It wasn't by intention. It was just kind of by listening and uh, I guess a certain level of like obedience to what I'm being taught. So I didn't design this type of practice. I didn't even think I'd be a doctor. I just was paying attention and was guided. So here I am, doctor, didn't mean to do it. And I'm like the fringiest of fringe doctors too, which is not, <laughs> not the easy path. It's not, it's not how I would have designed things as a kid, but here we are. And so what happened was I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't designing a life of like being a doctor. I didn't know what I really wanted to do. I was always interested in health, but I was, was, I was always very practically minded as a youth. So I, I studied business and philosophy in undergrad and thought that would cover kind of the bookends of education. And uh, then just went into the corporate world doing like marketing sales and things like that for a few years, which is great. And I, at a young age, got to a certain level of success where I was like, cool, I did it. And then I just realized it, it wasn't it. 
getting the job that I wanted or money that I wanted at the time wasn't it. And, you know, I, I did that very honest, but typical question of like, well, what if money wasn't a thing? Like, what would I choose to do? And I thought I'd be a chef initially because I'm interested in food, but, um, <laughs> but I got inspired by a chiropractor of all things. And this is, I was exploring health. Should I do something in the health world? Because that was, that's a battlefront that I was interested in. Uh, at that time, think like 2008, it was like, you know, healthcare was the number one political conversation with Obamacare and all that stuff. But no one was talking about health in the conversation that I had noticed. It was very much economics and why was healthcare so expensive? What's going on there? I started looking into it and it's like all these, like the burden to the taxpayer for healthcare and to the individual person as well is like predominantly lifestyle-based issues. And I got very interested in that. I'm like, well, why are we so sick by things that we don't have to be sick by? And the answer to that is incredibly complex. But that was a question that I was willing to change my life to try to answer and, to, and then try to make a small difference in. It's like, well, if most of the suffering is coming from choice, lifestyle-based issues, then it's like, well, maybe we don't have a heart disease problem or stroke or cancer problem. Maybe we have an education issue it's like well doctor the word doctor uh, means teacher in its origin and so it's like okay well maybe that's where i want to devote my life at least professionally and so i interviewed a bunch of doctors went to lunch with them was talking with ones that i knew were connected to my family anyone i can get in front of and Nothing was really inspiring me until I, I met this chiropractor. And I, I had known him through my family. My mom had gone to him or whatever, but I got lunch with him. And he eventually invited me to shadow him. And I was just, I was shocked. Because I, I thought I knew what chiropractic was. A lot of people think they do. And if you think it's like spinal care and adjustments, uh, you're not wrong. That's a massive part of what chiropractors do. But it's not everything that they do. It's very diversified in its field and its disciplines and it's uh, what people specialize in. And so he was specializing more in mind-body work and how your experiences encode onto your nervous system, your subconscious mind, and then drive function in the body. And it ultimately drives dysfunction in the body. So if you can clear some of the core programming of what's running and say like, you can use a computer analogy. So in the operational system, right? Or you could say like the downloaded software, if there's dysfunction, yeah, maybe it's hardware because sticking with this computer analogy, you could break your computer, you can pour coffee on the keyboard, right? There's gonna be physical damage, that certainly happens. But sometimes it's just a software issue. And that gets into all kinds of you know, psychotherapies, but this particular type of work would fall under with some of the, more famous podcasters like your Tim Ferriss maybe would say is energy psychology, which is a growing term in the field for this type of work that I do. And so I got to observe this doctor doing it, blew my mind. And I remember leaving that office for an afternoon. Yeah, I just spent one afternoon. I saw things I didn't think were possible. And I was like, okay, I think I might know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Now, like just a quick question, because I go to a chiropractor and he does kinesiology in conjunction with his chiropractic work. This chiropractor that you went to, I'm assuming, and I, again, assuming because I don't really know, but as like a nurse, I went to nursing school, but then you can specialize is like chiropractic work typically like, Hey, you go to chiropractic school and then you specialize or are like the mind body software subconscious is that already integrated in chiropractic work as like a profession in general or is it something that you really have to seek out yourself um it is in its core philosophy although i don't think the application of how it's taught is really described so i'll get into that so okay. the core education of chiropractic sadly is largely designed around passing uh, board examinations <laughs> and so and board examinations are not written predominantly by chiropractors even it's 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 very medical 
And right. ever since chiropractors were able to start taking third-party payments like insurance, uh, I became very medically regulated. And then boards are designed around diagnostics and uh, the education itself in its core has become more medically minded. And by the way, I'm not knocking medicine, um, maybe advocating for the fact that different doctors need to have different types of educations to have like a healthy, holistic approach to the overall health in our society, right? So medical people should absolutely focus on that. And then um, chiropractors, even DOs uh, maybe should, and the criticism there is that they've become more medical as well, right? And so it's like, it's, I think it's a sad thing that we've lost the, the difference, right? The specialization. So the, the education itself is very medical, but the, the core of its history, and as far as curriculum goes, I think supports more what I do. Now, I went to a school that offered a ton of different types of technique coursework. And so I was able to take applied kinesiology and get certified that and maybe 12 other techniques that I was able to do. And that's really cool. But the work that I ultimately do now is not something that school is going to teach. It's something you learn from the masters themselves. But when I said it does teach it is because one of the, the forefathers of chiropractic stated that um, the cause of all disease, and they kind of, they play with the words. So they're not saying disease, they say dis-ease, hyphenate it is one of three things. And it's, they called the three T's to be catchy, but I think we can elaborate a little bit, but it's it's trauma, which you could say is like uh, excessive physical stress or prolonged physical, because something traumatic could happen in the short term, like a car accident, it could happen in the long term by uh, repetitive stressors, which can get like, you know, your anything from like carpal tunnel, tennis elbow, things like that. Um, so trauma, so physical stress, toxins, so think biochemical stress, poor diet, or you know, viruses, uh, or excessive viral load, maybe is a better way to say that. Uh, biochemical stresses can easily be an acute thing as well. Like you have take cyanide, that would be acute, or like poison ivy, or black widow bite, something like that's pretty excessive, or could be chronic, just a poor diet over time. So that's trauma, toxins. And the third one is thoughts, which one of my professors stated, maybe a better term for that would be auto-suggestion. But to have the three T's, thoughts made the most sense. So we have trauma, toxins, and thoughts. These are the things that cause disease ultimately. And so how do thoughts do that? Well, thoughts are not nothing. We can think of them as nothing because we can't necessarily touch them. But if you have a powerful enough thought or an important enough thought, it creates an emotion, corresponding emotion. And every emotion you have creates a cascade of chemical changes in the body. And some are energizing and some are more draining and exhausting. Some promote growth and healing, repair in the body, good digestion, and some thoughts you have shut those systems down. The thoughts are not nothing, thoughts are indicators they're they're instructing the very individual cells of your body on how to behave in that moment and so one of my mentors says yeah the cause of a lot of health issues that he encountered is stinking thinking and it's not our fault because you don't control all your thoughts the best research that i've seen this is more less from like joe dispenza is that 95% of your thoughts that you had today are the same as yesterday, meaning they're subconscious and they're really stimulated by your environment, which doesn't change very often day to day. And so maybe 5% of your thoughts every day are unique. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're even conscious, meaning you might be having thoughts and you're not aware of them. You're not paying attention to them. So yeah, you're not like stinking thinking that's not just because you're choosing to have bad thoughts. Like a lot of that's programmed in. A lot of it's programmed in um, at a very young age. Do you feel that when we're discussing thoughts in like the subconscious mind, do you align with the statement that 
a belief system is just like a reoccurring thought. Yeah, so a yeah, okay, that's an interesting idea. So belief systems are like those core programs. So like if you downloaded an app on your phone, maybe that's like a belief system. And then the individual things that that app does might be more of the thoughts that coincide with it, right? So yeah, maybe a core belief system because but your core belief systems drive what you expect out of the world and they drive what you think of yourself or your identity. And then, okay, here's my identity. Here's who I think I am. That's going to drive individual thoughts. So something happens and it's like, well, who am I? And it's like, this is who you think you are. Okay, now what does that person think about this? Right. So yeah, core belief systems are immensely important. A lot of the the... the primary ones that I encounter in my practice are things like there's something wrong with me I'm all alone I'm not good enough I'm incomplete uh, there's no such thing as love I'm not safe I'm not supported I'm crazy these are core false belief systems that are operating the background and it's like you're not thinking necessarily those words although that could be part of your internal dialogue it's like I'm crazy right so that's like your core operating system is like, you cannot trust your own self, right? And it's, it's interesting because you could see that play out. Uh, you know, we have little kids, right? And it's like, <laughs> it's funny to say like, you're so crazy. Cause like my two and a half year old, wild man. But like, you start to think, am I reinforcing this? Cause he told me the other day, he's like, dad, you're so crazy. <laughs> Just because I was being silly, you know, because that's what I'm supposed to do like, with my oh, kids. Oh shit, where'd you get that from? Like, dad, yeah, it's like, dad, you're so crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, this is a term of endearment for now for him, which is good. Right? And it's okay. It's reinforcing this fact that you can be playful and silly. You don't have to have it all together, right? You can be a weirdo. But yeah, he said those words to me. I was like, oh, interesting. Very interesting. But yeah, because that's something that comes up with clients and it's like a lot of people don't trust themselves yeah uh and that's because they've been in you could say they're essentially instructed not to trust themselves that's kind of the core of what gaslighting ultimately is actually right and like within your practice and i'm sure that we're going to be getting into it but like how these thought processes really affect the body, do specific parts of the body, hold specific types of emotions. Like one of my favorite books that I've, that I've read is like The Body Keeps Score and Louise Hay, like You Can Heal Your Life and like the thought behind that, if you haven't, you know, read or listened to those books is essentially like your body harbors, you know, memories and how you know our core belief systems in conjunction with the thoughts whether they are conscious or unconscious mostly like unconscious um how they are kind of embedded in our physicalities yeah so you just named two great researchers as far as how the body holds on to experiences um Louise Sohei is someone you should definitely read if you're interested in this idea. Um, the Body Keeps the Score is kind of a tough read. I think it, it was really written for practitioners. It's kind of a brutal oh, read for someone. Did you get the workbook? Of, did I get the what? The workbook that goes with it? No, I just read the book. The book comes with a workbook and you work through it. It's fascinating. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. But yeah, the book itself, a lot of case studies and he's telling stories about people that have been through, you know, hell on earth. And it's like, that's not for everybody to, to read or listen to if you do audiobooks. And so someone needs to do, maybe the workbook maybe supports this, but someone needs to do like a lay person, the body keeps the score. <laughs> so you, you have to like- do it. You do it. Oh, that would be all work. 
<laughs> but no, Luis Ohay has kind of mapped out a lot of the, the things where like the body might hold on to something. So your sacrum, for example, might be like loss of power or old stubborn anger, things like that. So you can start to look at like various chronic ailments in your body and like, is there an emotional situation that might be attached to this? And I think that's worth exploring. Nonetheless, even if it's just like uh, an invitation towards, you know, you might look it up because I think all this is probably online and it's like, well, why does my uh, right shoulder hurt? And it's like, well, explore this. And it's maybe there's an emotional attachment here and you might start being able to say like, okay, well, I don't know if this is actually causing my shoulder pain, but this thing is resonating with me as far as something I can emotionally perhaps work on. And there's value in that, right? There's value in, in that, in that knowledge. So like right shoulder, I don't know what Luis L. Hay says, but energetically in like Eastern medicine, like right quadrant is, um, trying to please others, trying to get approval. And it's like, well, if that's true for you, it wouldn't hurt to become more aware. So you can become more aware, you can become a better observer of yourself and that puts you in position of power, puts you in a position of choice to where it's like, okay, I'm now observing that I'm trying to please others. Like I'm seeking approval. What choice do I wanna make now? So I'm at a crossroads here. I can go to people pleasing, uh, which is great. It gets you pretty far in life. You can make friends, you can get boyfriends, girlfriends easily. doesn't mean it's healthy in like a long-term relationship, but it's easy to get a boyfriend or girlfriend. It's easy to please bosses and advance in an organization. People pleasing is pretty useful, but it's at your own detriment. It's at, it's at the cost of your own well-being. And so it's like, if I can become more observant and said, okay, I'm, I'm seeking approval right now. Now it's like, well, what choice do I want to make in this situation? And that's very empowering because if you're not paying attention, you're going to go towards pleasing. And that might get you short-term what you want. But trust me, a lot of my clients are like executives at big companies or whatever, maybe like touring artists, right? Like they got what they wanted. Now they're like, signed to a major record deal and here they go and it's like they get to like their 40s 50s like i cannot sustain this i feel like i'm about to go over a cliff and that's what people pleasing will get you it'll get you a lot in your youth and it's unsustainable so but that wouldn't hurt to say like can i observe myself in my desire to get approval what's wrong with that so it's like maybe this isn't causing my shoulder issues i think it has something to do with it because I think the research that well, like 5,000 years of Eastern medicine or Louis Hay or Dr. Hawkins, any of these great people have discovered, it's like, yeah, maybe there's something to that. But at the minimum, can I become a better observer of myself? And would that benefit my health and ultimately my happiness, my life, my relationships? I say it would. For sure. And I recall like in your um, talk that you did at the reflections, how you use the analogy of like looking at the cup, right? And like just being, having, having the desire to explore and be curious of like, first, like the physical discomfort that you might be experiencing and observing it from perhaps a different perspective outside of like, oh, I need to reach for another Advil or, oh, I need to get a massage or whatever the case may be, but like perhaps exploring the energetic side of what it could potentially be as well. And using that, that ability and that new perspective to observe as those different, you know, physical tensions come up and perhaps, you know, especially, and as I'm saying this, it's coming through as like, Sometimes the physical part is like the easiest thing to notice at first. And then the thoughts are easier to observe, right? Because the physical discomfort is like causing um, 
you know, whether it be like an inability to move properly or work properly or go throughout your day because it's so annoying and it's like so bothersome. It's hard to like not, you know, acknowledge that 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 experience is happening. But yeah. as as you move from the physical part, in my opinion, I would imagine that when you do that, that, that exploration and use that curiosity and that observation and awareness from the physical standpoint, then being able to slightly observe the thoughts that you might be having, or perhaps secondly, the emotions, right. That you might be having, um, might be, might be like the second tier to that, because sometimes people get especially for me, I remember when I like had, and I still have anger issues that I'm like moving and navigating through now that uncovered themselves over the past year. But it's like, when I was angry, when something would make me angry, that anger like took over, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was hard for me to like, take a step back and like, look at it for what it was, because like, I allowed it to run my life for such a long period of time. And it was like, my automatic you know, autopilot response. But when I started having physical ailments, like my, like my arch and my foot bothering me, my low back bothering me, those were a little bit easier to like recognize that, like, I'm still doing life with this discomfort. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the beautiful things about physical symptoms is they're hard to ignore. Now we can like medicate and we can find ways to uh, get through life without having to pay attention. But oftentimes a physical issue is going to be like, you have to pay attention to this, right? So if your low back goes out, that's hard to ignore. It's like, I can't put my socks on right now. Like, try to ignore that, right? And so it's telling you, time to slow down and pay attention. There's something you have to address. Emotional symptoms can do the same. Anxiety is a great example of this. So I had a client earlier today, someone I worked with for a while, and he had this massive breakthrough a couple months ago. Just like all these downloads, all these realizations, kind of transformational about who he is. Um, and he's coming to me today. I talked to him in, in maybe a month, and he was like so anxious. I'm like, great, tell me about it. You know, because I don't think anxiety is a bad thing at all. It obviously can be, but it doesn't have to be. And so having worked with him for this long, I'm like, anxiety is good. What's going on, you know? And uh, the fact of the matter is he hasn't changed his life at all. So we have these like, I'm like, so enlightened. I'm putting kind of words into his mouth but he kind of said that he's like I am now I'm seeing these things I'm like this enlightened person now this is so great it hasn't changed his life at all and it, and it needed changing it really did and so he's living the same you know this guy like mid-30s you know bachelor historically agoraphobic like doesn't really leave his apartment that much type of a thing and so like you haven't done anything different. Now your your subconscious is screaming at you. Like, do not keep doing what you're doing. And, and anxiety can be a great tool of like, I'm not gonna let you be comfortable until you take action. You need to take action, like we're ready. You know, we've had some transformation, we've had some growth, time to move on that. And he wasn't moving on it. And so the anxiety has been creeping on him week by week, it's getting worse. It's like, yeah, because you're ready for change and you haven't taken action. So anxiety is like this alarm going off. So imagine like your smoke alarm going off in the middle of the night and you're in bed. Like you can't sleep. You're not comfortable. And you shouldn't be. That's the design of the smoke alarm. It's like you cannot keep functioning in your life the way you were. So you have to take action. And so that's what I think anxiety is. It's like you have to do something about this. So anxiety is an invitation to pay attention. So pause for a second and say, what the heck is going on right now? And what action do I need to take? So yeah, if you're in a dark alley by yourself walking to your car, maybe you get off work late or whatever, and you're like walking to your car and it's a little sketchy and you're anxious, it's like, good, yeah, pay attention. That's your subconscious saying, be vigilant. 
But if you're anxious at home, which is the case for this client, because he doesn't really leave his home, it's like, well, your environment's fine, obviously, but where'd your brain go? And that's interesting because we as humans can do something called virtual translocation, which is your body might be somewhere, but your brain can go anywhere in the universe and it can go past or some perceived future. It's like, well, where did you just go? And how, what's the underlying feeling there? That's what you need to pay attention to. And the reality is for him, he's just like, he's ready for change and he's not pulling the trigger on it. And his body is making him disturbed on purpose. You can't sit on this couch anymore. We're not going to let you. We're going to make this painful. And if you still ignore it, we'll make this excruciating for you to just sit on your couch and not leave the house. You got to go out there. So I wish I could tell you, because this was just this morning, <laughs> I wish I could tell you what happened afterwards, but he's got to get out the house. We'll see what happens for him. But my suspicion is like he gets out there and it might be, ooh, it might be so disturbing to do it. But I suspect 15 minutes into it, he's going to feel peaceful. Yeah. And it's so interesting um, to, to, to kind of, and as a nurse and as somebody who's been in the field, people dealing with depression and anxiety and all that stuff, to, to take it out of the context of it being like, a, it's something wrong with you, right? Because oftentimes, and at least as a nurse, it's like, oh, let's medicate right? Like, let's get rid of the symptom that's like setting off your alarm, right? And let's avoid like going to the root cause of it. And let's just like tape it up for a little bit. And more oftentimes than not, and I'm sure that you've seen this and experienced this, like people who are on antidepressants, like there's a risk for like suicide, right? Because you can completely go off the other end. So something that's supposed to be helpful, I think over time with the submission and with the control alt delete, like with the computer analogy that you gave earlier of the symptoms and the emotions and and kind of avoiding them and not really allowing them to be indicators as they are intended to be we almost oftentimes have a bit of this like disassociation with who we are and what we have and we become and identify with a particular I'm anxious. I'm an anxious person. Like I hear this all the time with some of my clients, like, yeah, I'm depressed or I'm an anxious person. I'm like, okay, but like, that is not who you are as a human being. It's, it's what's there that needs to be investigated and, and, and looked at a little bit deeper. And this, this perspective that you're offering is definitely not something that's within like the medical system here. Um, in the United States, it's, it's, it's very much like, yeah, mental health, like, and everybody talks about mental health, but it's not like, how do we, how do we uncover like the deeper roots apart of this mental health or emotional disturbance, as opposed to being like catering to, oh, I'm so sorry that you're this, like, here's your medication. And like, this is no like way of like poo-pooing on anybody who has anxiety or depression, but more so on the fact that like there's an avoidance factor and and a, mm -hmm. and a, and a band-aid factor that just seems so much easier because we have to go on with our lives. So like, I'll just do this and like, I'll, I'll be able to function in, in life. But over time, it's, it's not something that is really going to the source and to the root. And with your, your discussion on the subconscious mind, I don't know if you can elaborate a little bit more on like what you believe that is. And I know most of us know, but for anybody who's appearing in is like, oh, the subconscious mind, like not too familiar with it, but being able to like take the reins on our own life and take accountability and responsibility and not really like going to physicians or whatever as like the end all be all of their diagnosis, quote unquote, or their problems, quote unquote, but being able to take your power back for yourself and, and ask yourself, like, when did this first feeling arise? Like going back to like the first memory, right? Like going back to like, when was the last time before this time I felt this way, right? And, and doing your own subconscious work without necessarily having to go get hypnosis or whatever, but just like slowly kind of undressing the the emotion 
So good. Yeah. So the healing process is really one of curiosity, right? It's becoming curious about yourself where it's very tempting to be fearful of yourself and to be avoidant. So a lot of coping strategies at a young age do revolve around avoidance, trying not to feel a certain way. And so it's becoming easier and easier to do where you used to have to like, you have to find something kind of illegal at a young age. Mm -hmm. uh, now we find that just scrolling through a phone can get you massive dopamine hits that will give you that neurological avoidance of an experience. But yeah, having a curiosity, being like a chief investigator of like, oh, interesting, I'm feeling this way. And then leaning into it versus running away from it. Now I find it's initially just very helpful to just change your perspective on something, right? Instead of like, I am depressed or I have depression. I think it's just useful to start with, I'm experiencing depression. Right. right, to make it less uh, of an identity thing. Saying like, I'm not depression. It's not who I am. Although I am experiencing it, right? Because you don't want to lie to yourself. You want to be honest. What am I experiencing right now? It's like I'm anxiety, depression, anger, guilt, shame, whatever it is. You want to be honest. But it's like, I'm not guilty. I am experiencing it. Right? And there's a big difference there. And that difference itself is just empowering as far as going on that healing journey. Because if I am guilty, well, that's, that's rough. I may as well try to, I may as well try to avoid that. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like every time I hear somebody say that, it's like, I imagine in my head, like a stick being like lying in, in the dirt. And like, every time you say that, it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper and more ingrained yeah. and more ingrained and more like your, your subconscious mind is like, I am, I am right. Like we, we like mm -hmm. in this conscious community, like we know that anything that you put before, like I am, and anything that comes after that is a direct opportunity and your subconscious mind will latch to that as like an identity. And just as much as you can reprogram your mind and, and program your mind to be like, I am this, and it be in the negative energetic frequencies, you could do the same thing in, in, in the positive. And in the beginning, it may not seem real. And in the beginning, it may not be like, oh, like I'm a millionaire. I'm like, that's a lie. Right. But like, again, finding something in between that you and your subconscious mind can latch onto and be like, I'm feeling this way. And we all feel that like, I go through bouts of anger, bouts of depression, bouts of sadness. Like those emotions are ours as human beings as a compass to what we like, what we dislike. And they're indicators that can guide us towards, you know, different facets of who we are and, and give, provide us information with the experiences that we're having with whether it be a person, place thing or an idea and being able to say like, these emotions are, are a normal happening in a human being but maybe mine are happening more and maybe I need to like inquire and like you said be curious about as to like why is it reoccurring like what like what was I thinking about before I felt this bout of you know anger or sadness or depression like what happened and backtrack and like peel it away a little bit um because yeah, the identity thing, it literally in my mind, whenever I hear somebody say something, it's like, ur, ur. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's frustrating, right? As a practitioner, because you, you want the best for these people, but this is, this is where they're at. And there's nothing wrong with where they're at yeah. right now. It's, that's where they are. But emotions, like you said, compass is a great word, right? I think emotions in their purest form are behavior modifiers, right? They're teachers, they're instructors. So if I feel guilty, then it's like, an invitation to reflect, okay, did I make a choice that's not in my best interest or like for the highest good of myself or my community? And if the answer is yes, then it's like, well, what's the lesson? How can I choose better moving forward? And then it's like, this is the lesson. Then it's thankful and grateful for the lesson moving forward and guilt's unnecessary at this point. But if it's like, I'm feeling guilt did I make the wrong choice? And it's like, no, I'm feeling guilt from just forever ago. And the way my, you know, my girlfriend looked at me and the way my mom, you know, the tone that she used, you know, on the phone, it was like, 
poking and prodding this guilt complex that I carry with me. It's like now I'm feeling guilt and it's not a behavior modifier for my benefit, right? For my gain, for my education. It's becoming a tool for manipulation for people in my life. So they can give me a guilt complex and like, whatever you want me to do, I'm in. I don't like this feeling and I don't want to do this anymore. It's like, yeah, so my girlfriend can give me that look or something and it's like, oh, or more personally and honestly, it could be my wife right now. And she gave me this look and it's like, you know, this Irish Catholic guilt that I carry with me <laughs> uh, from my culture. God, like, uh, <laughs> yes, ma'am, I'll do what you want because I don't like this feeling. Right. And you shouldn't like the feeling of guilt, right? It should be uh, disturbing. So it's like, ooh, I have to pay attention to this, right? And so in its purest form, it's you pay attention to it and it's present, right? Because the teaching moment's really in the present, although you can use the past still. But it's like, all right, that choice wasn't good for me. I'm gonna try to do this moving forward. Guilt is over, gratitude for the experience is what I'm carrying with me, right? That's the ideal form. But instead, especially at a young age, you carry all these guilt experiences with you. And that's now I'm operating as a guilty person and someone pokes the guilt button, flips the guilt switch. And then it's like, all right, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I don't want this guilt feeling right now. So it's like, I'll please, I'll do any type of people pleasing that's necessary right now. And that's what often happens. And you almost like abandon your authentic self in that process. Right, because you you don't care about self at this point. You care about treating guilt as a symptom. Right. And so it's like, all right, let me make amends. And you'll self-sacrifice where it's inappropriate for you. Because there's nothing wrong with loving sacrifice, right? Loving sacrifice only happens from a place of freedom. And if guilt's the motivator, that's not freedom. Those are shackles. So you become the sacrificial lamb against your will. That's not healthy for you. And that's not martyrdom. Martyrdom comes from choice. A lot of people can see themselves as martyr and that that feels emotionally like they're making amends for guilt. All right, I'll become a martyr. That's not freedom. So you're, just, it's, you're just being punished and who is the perpetrator? It's ultimately you. You've become the perpetrator now, right? You're the one imprisoning yourself. So yeah, and that's just, we're just choosing one. We're choosing guilt. There's cornucopia of consciousness states that drive the, the behaviors in our life. And so in the pure sense, all of your emotions are instructed. They're an invitation for you to pause and say, what is going on right now, right? So a question that I, or two, I guess two questions that I love asking is what's happening right now and how do I feel about it? That's a good like self-care 101. Can I become more mindful of the present moment? What's happening? How do I feel about it? And maybe what happening, what's happening is not necessarily present. It's like what's happening is my mind is going into this past experience or this perceived future experience, which you can make the argument that that's still the past because you forecast the future based on the data that you have, right? So you forecast the future based on the past. And so that might be the present moment. The present moment is I'm not present. I'm thinking about something else. And again, the more you could become aware, the better the observer you are of yourself, uh, the more appropriate choices you could potentially make for yourself. So I know that we went off on a bit of an informative tangent here, but like, let's let's put this on like a little basket with how you practice as a chiropractor and incorporating what we've what we spoke about in your process and just as a sidebar I spoke to one of the ladies that you worked on at the event and she was just like fascinating she's like he was looking at my feet I read feet he pulled out (laughs) emotion and this was an emotion that I had with my daughter and he he got it and I was like I, I wish I was able to like have the time and opportunity to like have that experience because you were there in the flesh at that time. But um, really the ability to kind of 
for our listeners and everyone who's interested in like working with you um, in your way, which I've never seen up until you, I've seen like it compartmentalized. Like I've seen like, you know, body work and this type of energetics, not coupled with chiropractic work and just giving everyone a bit of like a flavor of how you really, you know, create a healing container with, with, with this information, with your knowledge, um, and what it looks like to work with you. Um, and he does do virtual sessions as well. So if you're interested, all the information to reach out to Dr. Hyde will be in the show notes. You could just finger your way down, um, to the show notes and click on the links that are there for him. But I would love for you to be able to just kind of paint a picture for people as to like what this looks like, um, how it, maybe some examples of personal clients that you've had where you've really seen like that transformative, um, you know, shift happen and um, also, you know, potentially what, what this may look like if they worked with you virtually in the flash, because I know you do both. Yes, if you're in the South Florida area, I might be reachable. I'm in like the Treasure Coast area, but most of my clients are kind of all over the globe now, which has been very interesting, very, very interesting process for me. Uh, most of what I work on, I would say the big things would be mood disorders, chronic pain, insomnia, or sleeping disorders and digestive issues would be maybe the big ones. So yeah, chronic pain, mood, sleep, digestion. Yeah, those are big ones because those are, a lot of those ones are regulated by kind of your autonomic nervous system. So your stress response would be the major thing that interferes with that. So those are maybe the majority of the people that I help, although it's not limited to that. And then age group, like I do, I do children up to... Um, the elderly and so everyone gets a benefit from this and the benefit typically people come to me for like a physical issue like some of the ones that I named and they come with to me with insomnia like we can get them sleeping pretty well pretty quickly but then they start like this is a kind of a fact-finding process of working with me you start to discover a lot more about yourself so if you're looking necessarily just for symptom relief you can get that, but that's not the journey that I'm really working towards. It's like, we're looking for the expression of your highest potential, whatever that is. And a lot of people that end up working with me get that. It's like, I know that I can, life can be so much more than this. Like I can show up to life so much more than this. And so the initially the, the motive might be like a chronic anxiety issue or a chronic pain issue. And uh, it could be so much more. So interestingly enough, like I got a client, um, a gal, she was like in her maybe seven months into a pregnancy, just chronic kind of crippling anxiety. This is her, it would have been her, yeah, her fourth child. And she came to me specifically for that uh, through a referral. So we were working on that. But meanwhile, she didn't bring it up to me because we were working virtually and she was seeing a chiropractor in person. She didn't even mention how she could barely get up and down the stairs in her house and she didn't have like her her low back and, and hips wouldn't even really allow her to go to like a grocery store run at that point. But we started working and because of where she lived, it was like snowy and then holidays and then whatever. She didn't go to her chiropractor for a month. She's also seeing a physical therapist too. So chiropractor and physical therapist didn't go to for a month. Uh, and um we just started doing some work together and then working not on anxiety because I don't work on symptoms. We work on optimizing the expression of health. And some of that means what's interfering with your body's ability to express health on its own. But that, I wouldn't say that's treating symptoms. Now, it was interesting because anxiety did start to get better. But when she finally went to the chiropractor, he was like, whoop what are you even doing? Like your pelvis is balanced. Like she was want grocery stores, no problem. Stairs, no problem. Physical therapist is like, I think we're good. Like we'll, we'll see you again after the baby comes. Like you look like you're in good shape. And all she did was really some rewiring of the brain. And then the body regulated itself as it should. So there's an example there. 
but a lot of it so what does it look like to work with me it's a lot of uh it's not like your talk therapy where you have to get through your stories you don't have to get through your stories at all so a lot of my training is understanding uh through conversation though what the body like how the body's expressing and what's underlying so what's going on subconsciously and we can bring that to the surface the actual treatment part portion would to you seem almost like a guided meditation so we're intentionally firing certain circuitry in the brain some of it's sensory so sometimes you're moving the body or moving your eyes changing your breathing or something like that right we're we're creating a new experience for your nervous system so it can learn new rules about who you are or how the world is and so yeah that the treatment portion is really going to be kind of like a 10 to 15 minute guided meditation and then although it's not technically that but that's what it might seem like and then a lot of the follow-up work is on integration so okay we're learning all this about your subconscious and then a lot of the conversation is going to be on integrating that into your life so what's coming up in your life right now what's life like what's being presented to you okay and then you know conversations around well, in light of what we're learning about going on subconsciously, like, well, how do we, how do we respond to what's going on? And that's really rewarding because not only do, you know, maybe someone's body's functioning better, they're getting great sleep, their digestion's perfect, uh, their relationships start to heal, right? They start having enough energy to do some of the extracurriculars, right? To do more than just get through their day. Finances heal, all these interesting byproducts of just showing up um, more of your true self. And so another thing that I should mention is, I know a lot of like online people sell packages and good for them, that's a good business move. Uh, but for me, uh, you don't have to sign up for anything with me. You can just go through Shelly's show notes, reach out to me. We have a conversation. You don't have to buy a package or work long-term. You just, you know, we'll get together. We'll talk if it works great. If it doesn't, we go separate ways. So there's no pressure. Uh, you respond to it or you don't. I find that everybody does. Uh, it's really helpful, but if not, that conversation with me will be informative and it can help put you in a direction that might not involve me, but will still be beneficial. So there's really no harm in reaching out if you want to do that. And uh, if you do, it's meant to be. I'm excited to meet you, whoever you are. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a selfish part of me that's like, can we do something small on this podcast <laughs> in some way, shape or form? But I'm uh, probably a little bit more in depth than that but um Shelly I would I would totally do that with you we don't have yeah. context I, I gotta go on to my next thing but we can do that we can get we can get back and do a, you know like a part do? two you know what we could do and I'm like totally transparent with like all my life stuff like I don't give a shit about like what comes up and like who I share it with because it's my life story and that's you know a part of the part of the whole process but maybe I could sign up for a session and we'll just record it and then absolutely and then yeah. that can be um something that we can offer as like an informative part because there's a lot of things that you brought up with that like short but sweet but my back went out on my first son's first birthday like out like I couldn't walk like my ex-husband had to literally carry me into the bathroom to go to the bathroom and pee in the bathtub got over that then I'm on my second pregnancy. And I think I was maybe about like seven or eight months pregnant. Same thing happened. My back went out and I was like, fuck the last time that this happened was like a, like when my first son turned a year old and I was like trying to like, like put into perspective what was going on then, because that was the first time that it happened. And you know me, like I'm healthy, like I work out like all this stuff. And I remember you saying, saying a similar story at, at the, um, at the event. And I'm just like, why is this happening? Right. And it's like, it's something energetic. Um, so it's definitely 
something that I feel as though could probably be navigated a little bit deeper than what I've already done. Um, so I'm interested to see like what could probably come through and play out with regards to that. I would love to do that. Yeah. So we'll set it up. So that means part two on part the way. Two. Teaser. Yeah. Teaser yeah, part two. Yeah, this is like incredible information and, and and it's it's so valid. Like again, like we so focus on like the symptoms and what we're feeling physically and we're like, how do we fix it? How do we fix it? How do we fix it? But like very rarely do we ever say like there might be something more energetic or emotional or like somewhere in the corner of my subconscious mind that needs to kind of like I need to turn the flashlight on that corner and like see it differently in order to mm-hmm. really be able to set it free, you know, because otherwise it's kind of like a trapped animal in the corner or like that junk drawer that you just never go through. It just hangs out there festering, taking up space Mm -hmm. instead of really being able to kind of like see it for what it is and be strong enough to go, Oh, Whoa. Like I, I haven't, I haven't remembered that memory from my childhood and since it happened, you know, who knows? Yeah. And with good reason, right. You suppress or repress memories uh, with a purpose because it's too much in the moment so it's like I'm I can't I can't like I can't think about the gravity of this experience and go on so you suppress it and you suppress it with the idea that you're going to resolve it down the road when you, you have the capacity or the maturity to go with the capacity of like all right we'll deal with this when we can and and that's really what health is it's like all right you're an adult now you have to sort through this stuff that you couldn't sort through when you were seven because you didn't have the maturity, you didn't have the wisdom. Such a valid and point. So that's part of that's part of my job is to kind of be that guide. Like I don't do the work for you. I'm more of like a a Sherpa you hire to go up Mount Everest. It's like I'm not gonna <laughs> hike this for you, you know? That's and you're like halfway up, you're like, fuck, take me down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to put you on my shoulders. That's not what healing is. Healing is an, right. is an active process. You have to participate in it. But, I'll, you know, my job is kind of be there or like an after school tutor. Like, I'm not assigning the homework for you, but it's like, all right, what's your what's the teacher saying? And teachers, I guess, in, in this example, analogous to life. Right. So what what's the teacher assigning you? And it's like, OK, all right, let me let's go through this right now together and uh that's really what it looks like so it's really easy it's very it's very painless and uh it is confrontational because you have it's it's a reconnection of self back to self so you have to heal that relationship but uh it can become very enjoyable because it's kind of like the gym where it's like if you don't work out that first time doing a real workout is like that was awful (laughs) That was brutal. Uh, maybe that's an extreme example. It's not that crazy. But it's like, okay, that was a little bit rough. But people that go to the gym consistently, like when they're in the middle of a hard workout, they know, like they get joy and pleasure from it. Not because the workout itself is enjoyable. It's because the meaning behind it. Like they're they're not connecting to the physical stress anymore. They're connecting to the meaning behind it. Like, what does this mean for me? And it's very enjoyable. And so there can be an immense pleasure from doing deeper healing work uh, that I can say that I've experienced personally, but I've seen it through clients as well. So good. So, so good. I'm so excited to do that live situation and see what comes up for me. And again, thank you for taking the time out to share what you do and connect with Dr. Hyde. All of the uh, links will be in the show notes and really tap into a little bit more of what's coming up for you after listening to this conversation and maybe do a little bit of that digging up and that curiosity with anything that you're currently experiencing or what's currently coming up in your awareness as you listen to this podcast and share with us your thoughts and what came up for you and how this podcast served you. Thank you so much again for being here and enlightening all of us on a deeper, meaningful level on how the mind-body 
um, and the spirit and emotions are really truly intricately connected. And if we use them properly, and if we use them with the proper guidance, it could be a really, really beautiful life to have certain things come up for us that in the beginning may seem like such a challenge or such an adversity or such a, you know, terrible thing in our lives that we experience can really turn into the gift when we learn how to navigate it and when we learn how to um, work with it in such a way. Amen to that. Thanks for this opportunity. I really enjoyed talking with you today, Shelly. Yeah, likewise. We'll do it again soon. Okay, can't wait. Thank you.